Today, I'd like for us again to give consideration to these scripture verses that are dedicated expressly to the genealogical bloodlines of the Lord Jesus, those found here in Luke chapter 3. And I'd also like to repeat some of the things that we've said in earlier messages on this text, reminding us that although this listing of people's names might seem repetitive and mundane, it is so very meaningful and so purposeful. As Psalm 19 tells us, making wise the simple. Folks, God's word in this Bible, they are few and he does not waste any of them. And because of that, you and I must be very diligent in our attention to every word that's within these scriptures. And so in these words that I'll read to us in a moment, we're going to be able to clearly see the genealogical heritage that led up to the birth of the Lord Jesus. And the question that we've been asking is, do behaviors and the attributes of one generation influence and impact those within the next generation that follow along after them? And we've used some of the words in the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20 as a beginning reference. Listen to these words carefully. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Yes, in our earlier messages, we've observed that in many ordinary ways, those former generations do truly have an impact on future generations. And those impacts can be obvious to us, some in temporal matters. They can easily be seen as it relates to living standards, how family members who live in either extreme wealth or extreme poverty conditions, they pass those lifestyles and habits to the next generation of children. But also how physical maladies and personality types they're obvious from generation to generation. I was able to observe that yesterday as I was looking at my children and my grandchildren. Personality types being passed from generation to generation. And all of these things that I've mentioned, they can result in what we call generational blessings and generational curses. But that being said, These scriptures are also telling us about an altogether different form of heritage that's passed along from generation to generation. It's a heritage that can manifest itself in spiritual ways. Spiritual ways. Spiritual blessings and spiritual curses. So today as we again study these words of scripture given here in Luke chapter 3, we see all the generations from Adam to the generation of the birth of the Lord Jesus. And to remind us that although these words are similar to some of the genealogy given in the book of Matthew, which traces the genealogy back through the bloodline of Joseph, many of the names are different. In that this line that we are studying here in Luke chapter 3, this is the heritage of Jesus that's being traced back through the bloodlines of his mother Mary. 
So again, those in Matthew trace the bloodline of Joseph. These scriptures trace the bloodline through the lineage of Mary. So let me read these for us, and please bear with me through these many references to fathers and sons. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jana, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthai, the son of Amos, the son of Naum, the son of Elsley, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Mathai, the son of Shimei, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Johannes, the son of Reza, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kassem, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Josie, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathath, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Mili, the son of Menan, the son of Mathath, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse. Some of, the, some of these names are very familiar to us, others are not. The son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Amenadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serum, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalat, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Praise the Lord. Now again, may I remind us that within these words and within other scriptures like them, we're considering the impact that heritage can and does have upon the lives of future generations. Heritage being defined as those things within us that get passed along to our children and to our children's children. As we carefully examine these words that we gave a few moments ago from Exodus 20, we can conclude that yes, it is a part of God's design, a part of his plan, that we do in fact pass along much of who we are, not only to our children, but also even to our children's children. Let me read those words again for us from Exodus 20. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity on the fathers of the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. May I stop here and point out that there is a massive change that took place within these two verses, right in between them. Listen carefully again. 
For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation to those who hate me. And then the big change. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then further that those things that we pass along, they're not limited just to some of our health-related issues, but that we can pass along our behaviors, our beliefs, our philosophies, and even our blessings and our curses. Consider again the impact of this truth that I just read to us. It really should be astounding, an astounding revelation to us to suddenly realize that who we are right now and all that we do every day will be carried forward into and will become a part of the lives of those who are born to us, our children and our children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's what God is saying. Now, at most of our ages, we can actually see that already having taken place. I can look at my children and my grandchildren, and I can see some of me, and you can too. And that ought to warn us that for the years that we have left, that is still going on. Can we go back and change any of the things that we've done? Probably not, but we can begin all over again today, knowing that that which we will pass along to them after this day can be better. As we've said, we really are not an island unto ourselves. This world lives on that principle. But the path that we choose to walk this day, whether it be good or it be evil, the actions, the behaviors, the beliefs, the philosophies that we hold to will follow along and it can surely reach on forward into that next generation. And it can seriously, seriously influence those innocent ones, even the ones that are yet to be born. And that's a tough thought for us to have because we don't fathom that very well. Now, in today's manner of understanding, we can say that, yes, those actions, those behaviors, those beliefs, those philosophies that we accept into our character today can put in an indelible imprint on our DNA, carrying both the blessings and the curses on forward into the lives of our children to the third and the fourth generation. And again, we don't have to be alive to teach them those things. We may already be in heaven, but that which we've already put into the lives of our children are an investment of some sort in the lives of our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. As I said a moment ago, many people, most people, do not really believe that such consequences are taking place. And because of that, they don't believe any that I would be saying here. And they simply ignore their responsibilities. They go about their daily lives as if their individual behavior is simply their own business. How many times have you heard someone say that? It's my business. It's my own business. I can do with it as I choose. Yes, you can. But there are effects that are going to be felt to the third and the fourth generation. How do I know that? God says that. On the authority of this word, we know the real truth. And because you and I have heard this truth, you and I now are forever held accountable to this word. We are accountable for everything that we're learning here today. 
and from these scriptures. And our hearts should be asking the question, similar to the one that the disciples were asking John just a few verses earlier, where they asked the question, what then should we do? What then must we do? And the answer must certainly begin with those words there in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where God says, but I will show mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You can do that part. You might not be able to go back and erase things that you've already done, but beginning today, you and I can do what he's telling us to do here. He says, I will show mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You and I need to humbly turn our hearts to the Lord, to love him and to keep his commandments. We need to move on past that threadbare fragment of faith that brought us salvation on into a complete surrender of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. And we need to become obedient to God's word. In Deuteronomy 6, God tells us that. He tells us exactly, straightforward words, what we should do. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these commands that I give you this day shall be upon thine heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall speak of them as you lie down, as you rise up, as you walk along the way. You shall bind them up on the palms of your hand, everything that you do. And you shall bind them up on the, the front lips of your forehead, everything you think. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and the gateposts, so that everybody who comes to you will know that you love the Lord. Folks, found within these few words that I've given to us here is in many ways the whole truth of God. If we will love Him and if we will teach His commandments and His precepts onto our families, then we and our families will be blessed and we'll pass along a godly heritage to all of those generations that lie ahead of us. And we can clearly see in these scriptures here how this special truth was born out in real lives. The lineage of Jesus given to us here in Luke chapter 3. The story after story of men and whole families that have thrived and were blessed simply because they chose to join with the Lord in His righteous ways. And I want us to spend these last few minutes today looking at some of these names in Jesus' lineage. We won't have time for many of them, but I want us to look at a few of them at least, seeing the way that men and women who agreed to allow God to set them apart for his purposes were able to then do things, walk paths, accomplish great feats far beyond their own personal abilities, and then to pass something very special along to the next generation. Men and women who, after they agreed to surrender themselves to the plans and the purposes of God, they became mighty men and mighty women of the faith, great leaders and warriors for the family of God. And because we're able to see so many of these generations listed here, we can see where their blessings clearly showed up in the lives of their children and their children's children. That's why it's so important to read through those names and pick some of them and go back to the Old Testament and see exactly what took place in their lives. 
And folks, as we read through these names here in Luke, you notice that several of these men that are in the lineage of Christ are also some of the men that are honored in God's great hall of fame of faith that's given in Hebrews chapter 11. I would invite you to study Hebrews chapter 11. Read about these giants of the faith, men and women who were set apart for God's purposes. Men like Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so I'd like you, as I mentioned earlier, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And I want us to look at some of this list of the heroes of the faith. Each of them valiantly stepping forward into the unseen realms of dependence upon God, trusting in the Lord. One of the first names that we'll read there in Hebrews 11 is also in this lineage of the Lord Jesus. It's Enoch. Enoch. We aren't really told much about Enoch except simply that he walked with God and he was no more, for God took him. Listen to these words. This is verse 5 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. How did Enoch please God? That ought to be a question that we would ask ourselves. Enoch pleased God. How did he please God? It's answered in the very next verse, the verse we read earlier. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Enoch pleased God with his great faith. And God rewarded him simply by taking him up into paradise. That is such a wonderful reward. We don't read of that anywhere else in Scripture. These words are a testimony. And they're also not only a testimony, they're a precept, an instruction on how you and I should conduct our lives. It's through a deep, abiding faith that you and I can please God. And someday, He'll take us up. Isn't that an exciting thought? An exciting thought. And then note also some of these other giants of the faith here in the lineage of Christ. He mentions Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Folks, we could spend two or three Sundays on each one of these names. They carried the mantle of God in everything that they did, every place that they traveled. And yes, yes, at times, each of them would stumble. But God was always faithful to uphold them, especially during those difficult times of temptation. And he continued to bless them generation after generation. What a faithful God that we have. We know here also that what might seem to be a very strange addition to this hall of fame of faith. It's the name Rahab. Rahab, that's verse 31. You recall that Rahab is referred to as having been a harlot, and she was. Often preachers will say, well, that same word can be used to mean innkeeper. No, folks, she was a harlot. She was a harlot. But obviously, at some point in her life, she changed. And in her change, she gained great faith in God. And she put her faith into her actions and into her behavior. And at the risk of her own life, 
Rahab protected the Israelite soldiers who came to spy out the city of Jericho. And for her great faith, Rahab was saved at that time, but she's also given full mention here in God's hall of fame of faith. But folks, thanks be to God, Rahab's story does not end there. Her righteous behavior and her faith got passed on to the next generation through the life of her son. Rahab married Salmon, another name that we read a few moments ago. Rahab married Salmon, and together they begat a very righteous son. His name was Boaz, a man here mentioned prominently within the lineage of the Lord Jesus. And Boaz's story is very encouraging, and it's an uplifting story of a godly and a trustworthy man. He was ordinary, much like you and me, living an ordinary circumstance of life as a community man, and he was a farmer. When one day, Boaz was confronted with this opportunity to take advantage of an innocent woman. Her name is Ruth, but Boaz didn't do that. He didn't take advantage as he could have. This woman, Ruth, if you'll read the book of Ruth, was a very godly woman. She had chosen to sacrifice her own needs to the needs of her mother-in-law, Naomi, by caring for Naomi and supporting her. And Boaz, seeing Ruth's beauty, her countenance, and her character, he desired to have her to become his wife. And while Boaz really did have easy opportunity to take advantage of Ruth, he chose instead a path of righteous faith. And he acted in an honorable way towards her, and he obtained her hand in marriage in the proper way. Godliness and faith passed along from his mother, working its way out in the matters of his daily life. It's a wonderful story. And there are so many other stories like this here in this lineage of Jesus. Certainly King David and others. Giants of the faith living out daily the godly heritage passed along to them from their godly parents. That's what we have to do, folks. We have to live out the godly heritage passed along from our parents. And again, though at times each of these giants of the faith, they did stumble in their obedience, as did David more than once. But as they repented and as they turned back to God, as 1 John 1, 9 tells us, God was faithful and just to forgive them of their sins and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. And praise be to God. Now a question might be asked, but did the godliness of all of these great men and women of faith actually contribute to the godliness of the Lord Jesus? We really can't make that specific assertion about Jesus, though we can do that for all the rest. But Jesus came into this life absolutely holy and righteous in his own character. But with that being said, I would certainly believe that God had prepared the hearts and the minds of the parents and the grandparents of Mary so that she would be the godliest of mothers to the Lord Jesus. And I have no doubt that that long line of godly people was greatly blessed generation after generation because of the godliness passed on to them from previous generations.
Now, with all of that being said about the many blessings that come to the succeeding generations from the faithfulness of their forefathers, we need to also consider the negative effects passed along through the ungodly parents and grandparents. And to some extent, this is a relief in my own life as I consider that I have on many occasions not been a godly parent or grandparent. These scripture verses that we've considered at the beginning of this message, they are true. Listen again to these words. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now in these words, God is clearly giving warning that the hard attitudes and the behaviors of one generation can have both bad and good effects on the children and the children's children of those parents and grandparents. But then there's some other verses in Scripture that we need to consider. And they give a different perspective. In reading Ezekiel chapter 18, we also find these words. Verse 20, The soul who sins shall die. But the son shall not suffer for the iniquities of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquities of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. As I mentioned in another message, for me this whole matter is one of the most mysterious and sometimes confusing concepts within these scriptures. There really is an obvious impact that past generations of family members can have upon future generations. And this is one of those really good examples of why we should never, as they say, cherry pick a verse of scripture that we like and then use it in all situations. In these words that we read there in Exodus 20 and in several other passages, it would seem as if God would hold children and grandchildren accountable for the sins that they did not commit, sins of their fathers and their grandfathers. But then in these other scriptures that we just read here in Ezekiel chapter 18, we're told clearly that each person is held accountable only for their own sin. And again, that's not a contradiction. May I assure us in the strongest of terms that these scriptures are never contradictory. We just have to be careful and do as, say, 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells us there, to study, to show thyself approved unto God. Study all of the verses. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And listen, rightly dividing the words of truth. Yes, we may receive certain personality types, certain behaviors from our fathers and our grandfathers. But we do not have to act on those. We have a choice, and that's what he's saying to us here. So yes, one generation can and does, by the character, their character and behavior, influence the character and behavior of the next generation. But those future generations are still ever and always able to do as the words here in Exodus 20 tells us. They can turn from the ways that they learned from their fathers and by faith then 
be saved from the sins that they commit. So may I close then. Though you and I may not be able to fathom all these mysteries of God, and especially this one about the generational effects that takes place between the generations, we do know that if we will give our hearts to Christ, that He will save us, and He'll change us into the people He wants us to be. And then from there, you and I have a responsibility, and it's simply to follow these words that we read just a few moments ago from Deuteronomy 6. And if we do that, then our lives and the lives of our children and our children's children will be safe in God's eternal care. Listen to these words again as we close. He tells us here, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Folks, that is everything that's with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. It's not a Sunday worship. It's every moment of every day. And then he tells us these words that I command you this day shall be upon your heart. And you shall teach them to your children diligently. You'll speak of those commands as you lie down, as you rise up, as you walk along the way. You'll bind them on the palms of your hands so that everything that you ever do will be guided by this. And they'll be upon your mind, the frontlets of your forehead so that everything that you think will be godly. And he tells us then to write them on the doorposts of our house and on our gateposts so that our neighbors will know. And then these last words from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, and it all begins here, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he really is. He's not just out there somewhere. He is. He is ever present in everything that we will ever think and say and do, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let's pray.